I'm Lisanne Flynn. I'm a master healer who works with both animals and humans, individually and together, in reuniting body and soul. I am the bridge for relationships between earthlings of all species so that the ripple effect of energetic shifts by each is deeply honored and valued. I'm an animal communicator, medium, and medical intuitive, and I use the tools of shamanic journeying and soul retrieval to support all earthlings in their recovery from past trauma. I'm certified as a Reiki master teacher and as a canine massage therapist. This is the Animals I View podcast. It is the absolute truth that when I was pondering the overall essence of B when putting together these podcast notes, it was the line from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet about roses that came in first, which really wasn't that much of a surprise, because that told me that B was online with me, if you will, and was offering a validation from their end of what their being is all about, smelling and being attracted to the sweet scent of rose in particular. Although I have a hunch that that was being used as a metaphor because the line from the play in question is, quote, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So B was affirming that there are so many more flowers than just rose to which they are attracted and gives in just one metaphor an astonishing view of the depth and scope of their presence on our shared planet. A bit further into these luminous points of connection via the language of energy in my conversation with B was my doing a bit of research and learning that the sense of smell for B, get this, is some 50 times stronger than the sense of smell for dog. Imagine what that would be like as a being in human experience to have a sense of smell that could detect cancer or diabetes or the difference between rose and daffodil, for instance. I honestly didn't think my own purple head exploding emoji for having the dog's sense of smell for just five seconds in my human experience could get any better. And along comes B. <laughs> I'm putting a link in the podcast notes about a rather dated article from 2002, although I don't think B has changed much since then, about research done by the University of Montana that indicates not only are bees easier to train than dogs, they are also more accurate and harder working. There was a second article I found on the interwebs from the Smithsonian Magazine in 2013 that reaffirms the trainability of B to sniff out TNT, for instance, for landmines, the link to which is in the podcast notes. To this, I relay that both dog and bee protest their comparison to each other, stating one of my own and known to them favorite lines, comparison is the thief of joy that has been attributed to several people. And I think their point is well taken because they say, quote, only humans rank us against each other. We both of us know where we lie in the web of planetary design and have no desire to take away that place from the other. The wisdom of animal just gets me all of the time. I hope you find it just as magical. Because in this rather profound statement, the feeling of balance and partnership within inclusive diversity are the words, the web of planetary design. They're not going to question what feels right just because they can, like we do. They just be who they are designed to be. 
At this point in my conversation with B, there was a mini sidestep into Shakespeare once again, and the ever-present energy of words because we started out with Rose, right? There was this one client, as so many of my stories start out, (laughs) who were guardians of a cat whom they had named Van Gogh because, they said, he acted crazy since he was a kitten. I'll pause here for just a minute so that you all can perhaps find your own nanosecond resonance with the artist Van Gogh, who wasn't famous for his artwork until after his transition, and whose most famous painting, Starry Night, was done after he had admitted himself to a back-in-the-day called Insane Asylum. Certainly you might think of his work focusing on the beauty of flowers overall, and at the other end of the spectrum might be his partially severed earlobe, and not the whole ear, as the story goes, that he allegedly presented to a prostitute. Wherever your frequency resides, I think it's part of the human species to make fun of the contrast in others, so as to level out, as we've said many times before, what we may perceive to be our own contrast. And so it goes with kittens that grow up to be cats. And thanks to Ogden Nash for that one, I'm not going to put the link in the podcast notes. Ferret that one out for yourself. And so this cat, Van Gogh, was proving to be a bit more than the guardians could handle as he'd outgrown his kittenish antics and the Kinshin schema, remember that oldie, that was long gone. So, the cat Van Gogh told me that the Guardians were big fans of Shakespeare and they owned several of his works, and that this particular cat wanted to be renamed. The name that he chose, what's your guess at this point, even if you don't know Shakespeare, you might have a ping of a guess. Well, he wanted to be renamed as Romeo the quintessential vibration of love for humans. We think of Romeo as being romantic, thus the word romance, and all things associated with love. The Guardians were convinced to do a renaming ceremony and a few weeks later emailed to say that Romeo had turned out to be a very loving cat after all. Because before, the Guardians' energy resonance was focused mostly on the crazy of the words Van Gogh, And that is what was communicated to their cat via the language of energy. So the cat, Romeo, rolled their eyes a bit. I emailed back to say how wonderful and congratulation and all's well that ends well. (laughs) That sidestep then turned into the naming of B and the message of B today of or not to be spelled B-E-E. It was a clairsentient ping, this renaming of Romeo via the Shakespeare connection, that B wanted me to now get pointed in another direction, as they often do for other bees in the hive. They point using their bodies of the direction to go. And to that I say, phew, that was a bit of a winding journey. I just took you all on. And truth be told, on the inside, it was just as clear as day because I've learned that following their lead without having to know why works out beautifully for everyone. It usually doesn't go well if I get on my high horse and think that I know exactly what's coming in and why, because that's not the language of energy. And plus, for me, it's kind of fun because I don't get frustrated with the not knowing. I kind of like somebody else to be in charge. As I understand at some point, everything will be revealed here, there, and everywhere, just like the animals understand and embrace. And I'll insert here the to be or not to be soliloquy from the play Hamlet. And I would encourage you to read it in its entirety from the link in the podcast notes. 
To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing, end them. To die, to sleep no more. And by sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream, ay, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death what dreams may come, when we have shuffled off this mortal coil, must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. In layman's terms, this is a guy contemplating his own life and wondering whether it's better to be dead or alive, and the interweb suggests that our pal Hamlet decides that even though he thinks his own life doth stinketh, <laughs> the fear of the unknown of death is far worse for him. Which, to a certain extent, may be a bit reassuring that our human experience structure still sees transition, and what happens after transition is either A, a great unknown, or some version of heaven, hell, and purgatory. This last, of course, is according to Catholics. Feel free to substitute your own religion or upbringing for this one. To follow the message of B in the not-to-be, let's move to how the B got its name, which was brought to us courtesy of Romeo, a very loving cat, who left his craziness behind once his own energy environment reflected his true essence, the way of animals everywhere. He decided to make a better life for himself, which is no doubt the reason why we're all here and the reason that humans mostly forget. And so, how did the bee get its name? Bee is derived from the Old English bane, meaning a prayer, a favor, and modern day, the word boon, which is defined as something that's helpful or beneficial. Y'all know I love my spelling. <laughs> By the late 18th century, bee had become commonly associated with the British dialect form bean, B-E-N, or B-E-A-N, referring to the joining of neighbors to work on a single activity to help a neighbor in need, i.e. a sewing bee, a quilting bee, etc. So all in all, a good thing indeed, beings gathering together for a common purpose. Carl Linnaeus, spelled L-I-N-N-A-E-U-S, a Swedish taxonomist, gave science the modern system of naming organisms, which is binomial nomenclature. He was the one who designated B as Apis mellifera Linnaeus. And although B has been softly gathering at my sides and all around, really, now is the time that they would speak. It's interesting. It's so fun for me every single time because their collective voice is a mix of multiple tones and feels multi-gendered as well. I, I don't sense one queen speaking for all and truly. That is the power of the hive in that quote, all speak as one and speak for one, meaning the hive and at the same time, each one of the bees. They continue, quote, each one of us is born into a different role. That means each one of us has different roles to serve as one. None is above the other and all are focused on being spelled B-E-E hyphen I-N-G. So the being is about the overall health of the hive first and foremost, and then how each of the individual roles within the hive support that design. 
which isn't dissimilar to the ingenious octagonal shape of the hive, how individual cells are shaped, and how each member of the hive tends to their queen. Because it is upon her shoulders that the forward movement depends, yet it's actually the worker bees as a collective who can make or break the queen at the moment and any future queens. You'll see that in just a moment. In other words, it is the majority of the hive members who work together in unison to support each other and other smaller diverse groups as well, such as the drones and the group of one who is the queen. B invites us to take just a moment to understand a bit more about how they work. It is complex, not complicated. That's important for you all to embrace and understand as you go forward, and how each member's specialty, if you will, lays the foundation of the hive, how everyone is fed, and how all beings are given shelter together. The queen's job is to lay eggs, mate, and get fed and waited upon by other bees. If towards the end of her life cycle there is more than one queen bee waiting to hatch, whichever one hatches first is the new queen of the hive, and she can choose to either stay in the hive or leave and take some of the bees with her. That's called a swarm. And non-coincidentally, <laughs> the newspaper article that I saw about swarms having application to the human world. What a surprise. More on that in just a minute. The job of the drone, male, is to find and mate with the queen so that she can lay fertilized eggs, which are the worker bees. And the interesting thing about this is that there isn't any fighting among the drones. They just wait to see who's gotten the job done. And our queen doesn't keep herself for just one drone. Nay, she may mate with many drones <laughs> to ensure as broad of a diversity of sperm from other colonies as possible, which is smart, right? If they haven't been successful in mating during a season, which we would know because they die after what sounds like a pretty violent hooking up, they hang out in drone collectives into which our queen may wander when she's ready to mate again. The worker bees are all female, and compared with the drones, they do quite a bit more than just mate, and perhaps in a bit of a turnabout, any dead drones are pushed out of the hive by them at the end of the season. Worker bees, depending upon the chronological placement of their lifespan, i.e. what age they are, they could be nurse bees tending to the young bee larvae and, and feeding the queen as well as making and capping the cells in the hive. The worker bee can go out and collect the nectar from the flowers, a rose, say for instance, and changes the nectar into honey which feeds the entire hive. So in short, they work their little stingers off their entire lives, which as it turns out is usually only about six weeks. Here comes the gentle bee collective again, quote, we are many, we are one, there are none among us who think of themselves as individual, yet that perhaps is key. We do not think in the way that the human animal so prizes for themselves. Everything that we do, all that we be, spelled B-E-E, -E, is done for the whole hive, our whole species, and those that come after us taking great care to make sure that those who come before us are alive within our very being and all of our moments. For what else is there except the being? You have forgotten how to just be, how to submerge yourselves in the very being of how you serve each other and are meant to serve us and the planet. In this place of calm peacefulness, you will remember who you are and how to just be. Their humming has gotten temporarily more intense and just as suddenly subsides. There's more to come, I'm sure. 
I'm reminded of a beekeeper that I follow on Instagram, at Texas Bee Works, whose work to relocate either swarms or hives that have been built in lots of interesting places, such as attics, composting bins, or backyard playgrounds, is so inspiring and really fun to watch, so check it out. I talked briefly about a swarm of bees that leave the hive because the older queen is on the lookout for a new place to live, and they'll find a new place to call home pretty much anywhere, it seems. Of course, that may not work out well for other species such as ours, so beekeepers are just so important to support and notify if you happen to come across a swarm. The article that I mentioned earlier was entitled, Quote, Swarm Study Finds Applications to Human World, which, as far as title goes, is actually fairly neutral, which both the animals and I like. The research came out of the University of Colorado, right here in uh, Colorado, <laughs> and a quote from the article, Bees have an almost intuitive understanding of the physics and mechanics of that structure, and they respond to it. It seems like they are paying attention to mechanical forces, end quote. Aha! Eureka! <laughs> Someone actually is paying attention to the language of energy, it seems, and beginning to become literate in that language as well as the human verbalization of it, our physics. The structure to which they're referring is a swarm itself, which exists outside of a hive, and yet even in this irregular shape as compared to the clear mathematical shape of the hive itself, still has the same foundational pieces of stability and soundness as the hive itself. Hmm. So that means that perhaps B could live anywhere and they're connected to all of these air quotes physics? no matter where they are, perhaps even on the planet? This seems to be the conclusion of this research and why our frenemy science is so intrigued by this concept. What if humans could learn how to live anywhere and design from the inside out, as it were, the structures around us? Certainly B creates these structures because of their need to keep themselves, and most importantly, their queen warm, by gathering so closely together. The article goes on, quote, There isn't a leader telling the bees what to do. Bees are actually making, and I would insert here, a gasp, their own decisions based on the information they have about their nearby environment. Be that an abandoned wooden barrel or a sturdy tree branch or a piece of equipment or even the hood of a car, they understand how to work together to ensure that all are cared for, each can fulfill their duties, and their survival of the hive is utmost for everyone. And here comes B with the rest of their message for us. Can you possibly dare to feel how it would be to intuitively, as your scientists say, live within the resources around you so that all are taken care of and all have what they need to not only survive but to thrive because they are serving the whole of the species? Can you possibly dare to dream of the time when each of your incredibly special and vibrantly diverse members of the human-animal species takes such tender care of each other that it causes a massive ripple effect of energy to cascade downward and out to all other species, so that all of us feel how united you are in your thrival, and not just your survival, and at the expense of all others? Can you feel... Do you feel? That is, of course, the question about how to be or not. It is only in the deep, resonant feeling of each other that this being will possibly occur. 
Until then, each small at-odds group sees the other as other, capital O, and that weakens not only the other members but the whole of the species as well. For our sake and yours, begin anywhere to just be. And with that, B gives me a soft kiss on the cheek, flies in a counterclockwise circle around me, up my body, and away. (sighs) A deep sigh on my part for having felt their essence as their animal ambassador, and, at least, now we know how B sees it. Thanks for listening today. Leave a review if you'd like, and be sure to subscribe to this podcast. I offer all new clients a free 15-minute consultation. Reach out if you think I can be of service and to schedule online via www.lazanflynn.com. Come find me on social media, Facebook, Twitterverse, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I encourage you to sign up for my quarterly newsletter on my website, where I also post notices for upcoming events, the starting date of courses in the Animals Eye View Academy, and online psychic fairs. The episodes of this podcast are now available on my YouTube channel, complete with sub titles, so check out that link in my podcast footer and be sure to subscribe. There is also a link for the Buzzsprout subscription service in my podcast footer that's now available for as little as $3 a month. I'm starting out with recurring support, we'll gauge the interest for premium content, aka Zoom interactive events, and we'll go from there. Sign up to give recurring support today. It starts out as little as $3 per month, and you can find the link to support this podcast in the podcast footer. The animals and I thank you in advance. Tune in in two weeks' time where we'll explore maiden, mother, and crone, aspects of the feminine principle. I have a hunch that mother orcas and their sons will have some wisdom to share. This has been the Animals Eye View podcast. I'll see you next time. Thank you.